They removed the charging block and the headphones, then decided they needed to raise the price $30 and still have the starting memory at 64 gigabytes. What gives? And I'll actually point out they raised it by $130. I'm Rene Ritchie, and you had questions about the iPhone 12 event. You wanted answers. You wanted the truth. And I'm here to handle that for you. And as always, members over at patreon.com slash Rene Ritchie have Q&A priority. That's just how it works. But if your question didn't get answered and you have more questions or follow-up, just hit the subscribe button and bell so that you can be notified when new videos go live and I'll hang with you for the first hour or so and we can chat. Cool? Let's do this. No uh, 120 refresh rate. Why? Uh, why 5G instead of 120 hertz? Why Dolby Vision instead of 120 hertz? And ask for Dolby Vision. Why can every other phone just do this and not the iPhone? Why? Just why? Red Letter Media style, why? My guess is that's simply because there is not enough uh, capacity, not enough yield yet for LTPO OLED panels. Those are the ones that Samsung is using in the Note 20, and they allow adaptive refresh, similar to what Apple has done for years with the iPad Pro. When Apple got oxide into the LCD displays for the iPad is when they were able to do adaptive refresh there, and what they've been using for a couple of years now on the Apple Watch. And again, that's because those displays went to LTPO, and they use variable refresh there to go from 60 to 1 for the always-on display. On the iPad Pro, they use it to go from 60 to 120 uh, for things like scrolling and Apple Pencil, and also to go down to 48 hertz or 24 hertz to do things like show 24 frames per second movies or to conserve battery power. And that's really what Apple wants to do. They don't want to have 120 hertz. They want to have adaptive refresh rate so they can drive it at everything from 24 to 120. And based on the panels that Apple is believed to be using, which are similar to the Galaxy S20, not the Note 20 panels, that's just not possible yet. And if you can't do the adaptive part, you have to make a bunch of trade-offs, which is how other companies are doing it. Either they switch down to lower resolution and they have scalers of questionable quality, or they, uh, you know, the, their color management goes out the window and you can literally see the white point changing as the refresh rate changes. And I think that's probably just a deal breaker for Apple. So again, my guess is we'll get this as soon as Apple gets those panels, which is probably next year. And they just decided to do it right instead of doing it right now. Why no 8K video recording on the iPhone? Who cares about Dolby Vision? Give us 8K. Other phones are giving us 8K, why isn't Apple? This is actually super interesting because I would really like 8K only because you know not a lot of people can display 8K yet, but when you're editing video, you can punch in to 4K. You can pan and scan around in post, so it just gives you a lot more options in editing. But Apple is sticking with 12 megapixel sensors. They haven't gone to these huge you know, 48 or 108 megapixel sensors. So they're limited to those 16 megapixels. And I think you need at least 33 uh, or more for 8K. So Apple is sticking to the quality of the 4K instead of the quantity of the 8K. And they're doing Dolby Vision for the similar reason. And I remember a few years ago when I went to WWDC, Bob Borges, who just went back to Apple, you saw him in the HomePod mini uh, segment of the event earlier this week. He was at Dolby back then, and I got to go there when they were introducing Dolby Vision. And they gave us this demo with the Last Jedi Star Wars trailer where they showed it to us in 4K, and then they showed it to us in 1080p 
HDR, high dynamic range using Dolby Vision. And the Dolby Vision, the HDR version, just blew the 4K version out the water. Because after you get to a certain point, the pixel density doesn't matter as much. It just becomes waste. And the quality of the image becomes more important than the quantity. And the high dynamic range is what is improving there. So that's just the ability to show deeper blacks and keep maintain highlights as the whites get brighter and have that real deep red and sort of lush green that just makes the entire image better. And it's why we all want Dolby Vision on Netflix and Disney Plus and with all the Star Wars and all the Marvel movies and everything like that. And Apple emphasizing... Dolby Vision, as much as I want 8K and as much as, yes, uh, you know, por que no los dos, I think it's going to take a while before Apple gets into bigger sensors, especially considering the trade-offs you then make with the the size of the pixels and technologies like pixel binning and all that. So it's a nice to have, but if I was given the choice, I would definitely want HDR over 8K at this point. Why didn't Apple put Touch ID into the iPhone power button like they did the new iPad Air? Don't they realize Face ID is a huge pain with masks on? And I think this is where what's usually a huge strength for Apple became a bit of a weakness. And that's always the case. Our biggest strengths are always our biggest weaknesses. And that is they work on these phones years out. And it might seem, if you listen to leaks and things like that, that these decisions are all being made at the last minute. But that's not at all true. They're hearing echoes of decisions that were made a long time ago. Very, very few things are decided late on in a product cycle. So when they're releasing this year's phone, they're already working on next year's phone and the phone after that. And I think if they had their druthers, if they were more agile in their process, if they weren't as tightly integrated in a way, they would have been able to spin around faster and do something like adding Touch ID as well. But currently the rumors say that Touch ID is coming back next year, that that was the sort of planned reintroduction period. And so far the rumors have said it'll be in display Touch ID, not power button Touch ID. And Apple has patents on an acoustic version of that, not the optical kind you see in some Android phones, but the acoustical kind, which I think is similar to what Qualcomm has done on on Samsung phones, uh, that, that sort of technology. So I would have really liked it because we do live in a world that's been radically changed over the last few months. Kenneth Perry on Patreon asks, any idea what the back of the iPhone 12 phones are made of? And Man Nitesh 2 on Twitter asks if ceramic glass is also on the rear of either the Pro or non-Pro models. And no, the ceramic glass is only on the front, what Apple's calling ceramic shield. It's basically ceramic impregnated uh, glass. So it's scientifically not glass, but it's a hybrid compound. And that is on the front. On the back is the same glass as last year, which I believe is still stronger than any other Gorilla Glass type product, chemically hardened ion exchange style glass on the market yet. Apple works with Corning. They're literally on the floor at Corning working on this stuff. And they get access to unique or custom and early versions of all the stuff that Corning's working on. So it's not ceramic shield, but it's among the best uh, in class that you can get, maybe even the best in class that you can get on the back still. G Adams underscore Spink on Twitter asks, ceramic shield, will it mean an end to glass screen protectors? And no, alas, because one of the things, one of the trade-offs that you get with these glass, these composite hybrid chemical ion exchange glass products is that they can be optimized for shatter resistance or scratch resistance, but they don't seem to be able to do both. 
And some years it goes back and forth between one or the other. But for the last few years, it seems like Apple and Corning both have really been focusing on shatter resistance. And you're getting a lot of protection from Ceramic Shield in terms of that. And also the new design, um, the loss of the curves, just the flattening, the great flattening of the phone really improves the strength when it comes to shatter resistance, but I don't believe there's any change in scratch resistance. So if you were using a glass screen protector for that previously, you're going to want to keep on doing that. You know, if you're worried about scratches, you're absolutely going to want to keep on doing that. And Thomas Frank, hey, (laughs) Thomas Frank of YouTube productivity and hashtag gear fame on Twitter says, I only caught a bit of the launch video, but which phones will have IBIS and which ones should I be looking at as a camera guy? And so if you're not familiar with camera terminology, IBIS is in-body image stabilization. Uh, in cameras, you can have stabilization in the, the body of the camera and also stabilization in the lens. And then you can also have electric uh, image stabil- electronic image stabilization as well. And so all of the iPhone 12s have OIS, which is optical image stabilization. And that just means if the sensor is being shaken, uh, if it's shook, the lens is uh, sort of floating and will compensate as best as it can for that. And Apple just keeps ramping up the response rate on the lens, but it's still a two-component system and it's a little bit more complex. So what the iPhone 12 Pro Max is doing is bringing that stabilization into the sensor itself. So only the, st- the sensor now is floating instead of the lens. So it's only it's a much simpler process and it should be much more stable even than the previous OIS and also result in better quality uh, photos and video. So if you are a camera person, you're definitely going to want to go with the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Joshua Karp on Patreon asks, trying to decide between the Pro and the Pro Max, what exactly are the camera differences? And Kyle Giglio on also on Patreon asks, how big of a difference do you project between the Pro and the Max cameras? And Tim Genvik on Patreon asks, any other differences? So you're going to have the standard basic differences, which is just bigger screen and bigger battery. And the differences in the camera is that there is a bigger sensor, a physically bigger sensor on the wide angle on the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Uh, and that just means you'll be able to bring in more light and get better, uh, better photographs, especially better low light photographs. The telephoto camera has gone from an effective 52, I believe 52 millimeter to 65 millimeter. So it's just a different type of lens. The aperture is not quite as good. Uh, so it doesn't let in as much light, but it'll give you a totally different look and an extra 0.5 of zoom. So instead of going from you know zero in the wide angle, it'll go to 2.5 now in the telephoto instead of just two. And then there's the stabilization, uh, the sensor-based stabilization that I already just mentioned. I've done a whole video explaining the differences between the various iPhone 12 models. So I'll link to that in the description as well. CG Exos on Twitter. Should we upgrade from 11 Pro if we use the camera a lot? And I always always sort of cringe when 90% of the videos talk about upgrading year over year because I feel like you know, if you have enough money, you just do that. You know, if you care about always having the best, you just do that. If you're on an annual upgrade program, you just do that. And if not, you probably keep your phone for two, three, four years. But I realize tech Twitter is a very specific audience. So a few years ago, uh, when there were still iPhone lineups, I think it was probably the iPhone XS launch, 
I was at the Fifth Avenue Apple store and I was just talking to people in line and asking them why they were upgrading. And one of the people there said that the iPhone was uh, their primary camera, that they just used it for everything. It was how they took photos of their newborn children. And they could never go back in time and get better photos. So they always wanted to make sure they could take the best photos of their kids possible. And so they always made sure they had the latest iPhone with the best camera possible. So if if that's your situation, if the iPhone is your primary camera and photography, videography is really important to you and you have the finances to do it and the camera seems like it'll offer you more capabilities like the iPhone 12 Pro Max is doing this year, then absolutely do it. But if none of those things are true, then again, I don't think most people ever need to upgrade year over year. Warwick on Patreon wants to know about the differences between the regular and the pro. And this year, there doesn't seem to be that many differences, just some colors and the camera. And is there anything else? Apple has essentially made the regulars into almost pros. And so the difference with the pros really is the materials. You have the stainless steel instead of the aluminum. You have the different finishes, and then you have the extra uh, telephoto camera, the LiDAR scanner, and on the Macs, you just have the enhanced photographic capabilities in general. So you really have to specifically want those things. Otherwise, the non-pro, almost pro, I think is just as good a value, probably a better value for most people at this point. At Chris Perillo on Twitter, icon, trailblazer, original streamer, when is Apple going to stop focusing on so much, uh, on a dozen variants and instead on a single spectacular software experience again. And Chris is super salty that ever since we went to more than one screen size on the iPhone, he feels that the interface and user experience has just plummeted on the iPhone. And I think that's really, really fair. Back when there was one pixel perfect screen resolution through the original iPhones and into the iPhone 5, 5S, people were literally designing by the pixel and there was only one phone to sort of manage to focus on every year. So you know everyone on the human interface team was carrying that phone and complaining about any little defect they saw. But even back then, there were just all sorts of bugs and weirdness. And I, you know, I think some of this is rose-colored glasses and you can make a list a mile long about problems that existed with just the one screen size. But obviously that's magnified now that we have so many different screen sizes because everything from size classes to auto layout, it just introduces much more opportunity for those things to go wrong. And scale is always the enemy of quality. It's much harder to do many, many things much more broadly than it is to do one thing. So I think those days have just passed and it's only tech nerds like us. It's the 1% that really deeply care about that. And if any company wants to be successful, they eventually have to look beyond the 1%. They have to address the mass market and their needs, not their needs, but their priorities are really different. At Riccano, whoa, on Twitter, asks, any chances the iPhone 12 mini may have less RAM than the iPhone 12 and an underclocked CPU? My guess is it won't have less RAM. I I don't know about the CPU. We'll have to wait and see. But this is one of those things where I wouldn't worry about it. And again, it goes back to nerd culture versus mainstream culture is that we want everything with zero, zero compromises. And that's just not how design, development, production, implementation, any of this works, there are always trade-offs. If you want something smaller, there's less room 
to put things inside it. If you have a smaller battery, it's less able to absorb, to handle spikes in CPU demand, for example. It's why Apple no longer makes phones as small as the original SE or 5S. Modern processors like the 814 would just hit it too hard and it would brown out and the phone would shut off. So Apple is going to do, you know, my my guess, <laughs> my expectation is that Apple will do what they usually do, and that is make sure that everything is working in an integrated way and the CPU is demanding exactly what the battery can supply. And if that requires slight changes in base or peak frequency, they'll do that. I don't expect any of that, but I wouldn't be surprised by it. And I and I really don't think it matters. It, it's, a, it's more of a implementation detail and something that nerds get anxious about, I think, often for no reason. At DeerSpider on Twitter, they removed the charging block and the headphones, then decided they needed to raise the price $30 and still have the starting memory at 64 gigabytes. What gives? And I'll actually point out they raised it by $130, not $30. And at Zagum, what's your view on USB-C being included but not the charging block? We all have charging blocks for USB-A. Is it really an environmental reason or just a way for us to spend more on a USB-C compatible charging block? So the iPhone XR was $800 and then the iPhone 11 was $700. And now the iPhone 12 is going back up to $800 on Verizon and AT&T, but $830 if you just buy it outright or on any other carrier. And the iPhone mini is slotting in beneath it at $700. But again, $730 if you're not on Verizon and AT&T. And that's a considerable price hike, especially in 2020, when I feel like just as a world, we are less able to absorb. You know, a lot of people are really hurting uh, right now. And phones in general, the price of almost every phone has shot up this year, mostly due to you know, higher quality displays, more expensive displays, but also 5G um, and what Qualcomm is charging for processors on the Android side, but also just 5G modems in general. A lot of them buy $100. And so I, I get that the iPhone, the regular iPhone has gone from a lower density LCD, much less expensive display to a much higher density OLED, much more expensive display. And from a relatively inexpensive LTE radio to a much more expensive 5G radio, especially in the US where they have uh, millimeter wave radios. If you look at Google's pricing for the Pixel, the Pixel uh, 4a 5G, God, so many numbers and letters, that's $100 more just if you get the millimeter wave version on top of the extra charge for 5G. And Apple is holding the price on the Pro models. Those are still $1,000 and $1,100, but they are just not willing or able, uh, I guess, to eat that much additional cost on the regular models and on the mini. So I'm really conflicted on this because I think in one way, it's really great that they have increased the quality so much of the regular models that they are as good as the Pro models were probably just two years ago, you know, certainly as the iPhone 10, maybe as the iPhone 10s, probably actually between the iPhone 10s and the iPhone uh, 11 Pro. It's remarkable how good that display is. And it's got the same processor and the same 5G millimeter wave uh, in the US and 5G in the rest of the world. But 2020, man, it is just so hard. And the removing the plug and the headphones I think it's just the, again, 2020, it's the worst possible timing for that. 
because it just it adds one more burden to people. And even if it's not a financial burden, it's a cognitive burden because they have to worry about it. And I know like tech geeks are all USB-C this, USB-C that. And they would make fun. I would make fun of Apple for including a USB-A to lightning cable in previous iPhones uh, because the MacBooks have had USB-C going on five years. But the truth is most people don't have Macs. It's still a majority PC market and a majority older PC market that have USB-A type connectors. And Apple has only supplied USB-C for one year and only on the Pro models. The iPhone 11 Pro is the first one to have a USB-C to lightning cable and USB-C charging brick in the box. So doing this, changing the cable and taking out the charging brick, uh, not only do you have, like maybe you have one from your Nintendo Switch or from you know an Android tablet, or maybe you have one from another device, but if not, a lot of people are going to be without a charging brick or at least one that doesn't work or requires an adapter, but they probably have to just go out and get another charging brick. So I really wish Apple would have put a little bit more money where their mouth is here in terms of the environment. Like for sure, remove them from the packaging for people who don't need them, but just have a little checkbox. And I'm saying this orders haven't gone live yet, so we don't know exactly what they're going to do. And maybe they can still do this. Maybe they will still do this. But have a little checkbox that says, I need a power brick. And then that gets shipped as well. And the people who don't need it, don't get it. We save all of that e-waste, all of that extra shipping. But the people who really do need it can get it and get a high quality one. They're not sort of running out to the corner store in the middle of the night, getting the cheap discount version that may not be anywhere nearly as safe as one that they get from a reputable brand like Apple or Anchor. So um on the pricing, I still have to think about it a little bit more. But on the power cable, uh, I wish Apple, there's still a couple days until pre-orders, but I really hope Apple handles this well. I don't, ex- I don't expect it, but I really hope they handle it better. Ariyaman B. Hatak 2, and this is in all caps, so I'm guessing I have to shout it. What is the plasticky thing on the side of the iPhones? And that's in reference to a small round rectangle on the bottom side of the US version of the iPhone 12. And that's for millimeter wave. Uh, Millimeter wave requires more RF, more radio frequency transparency. Previous versions had to have RF transparency windows, I think on four out of the six sides of the phone. And so you had like the screen, you had the back glass, and then you'd have these various cutouts. Uh, It's probably gotten a little bit better, but you still have to have more open areas for reception with the high bands than you do for LTE or the mid or low bands of 5G. So millimeter wave on the iPhone in the US means they just have to have that extra cutout to let the signals go in and out. At Langford Guy, why millimeter wave only for the US models? And that's just a reality of the current 5G market. As nascent as the millimeter wave high band 5G deployments are in the US, they're still way ahead of most other countries for two reasons. One is, you know, some countries like Canada haven't even auctioned off the spectrum for millimeter wave yet. That's been pushed out to next year. Uh, But other countries have good enough low band and mid band that they don't seem to feel the need or the hurry to push out high band anywhere as quickly as Verizon and AT&T are doing in the U.S., uh, where the the low and mid bands are far more constrained. And I think ideally mid band will be so good that a lot of places simply won't roll out 5G uh, MM wave or they'll do it in very specific implementations like the cliched stadiums uh, do now. But just for most of the world, it's going to be uh, an FR1, frequency range one, low and mid band 
world for 5G. And China remains to be seen, of course. But for now, it's just there's no reason to do it anywhere other than the U.S. Maxi J Prime on Twitter says, since the Canadian iPhone 12s won't have millimeter wave, if I buy one from the U.S., will it work in Canada and also down the road when Canada supports millimeter wave? 5G doesn't roam yet. It's like the early days of LTE. If you get a 5G and you put a U.S. 5G SIM card in it, then you go to Europe, it won't work at all. You'd have to get a European-specific 5G SIM card, put that in, and then it'll work. Probably most places, because Apple is supporting just the widest possible amount of 5G bands that they can on the iPhone 12. So you should be able to just get a local SIM card wherever you are, put that in and work with whatever 5G is available in that area, if any. Millimeter wave being the exception though, because it's US only for now. So if you get a US iPhone to have millimeter wave in any other country, first, I think you'll be waiting a long, long time. And second, it's uncertain whether it'll even work in that country because the bands are so different. Never buy based on what might happen in the future, only ever buy based on what you have now. So you'll have better LTE, you'll have 5G where it's available, and in a couple of years you can reassess and there'll be much better deployment, uh, much better network equipment, and much better 5G modems in whatever you buy in a few years. And as for 5G in general and all the different varieties of that, I've done a whole explainer on that, so I'll link to it in the description. And Julian Sibby asks on Twitter also, about the $30 discount from AT&T Verizon on the iPhone 12, 12 mini. And is that misleading to advertise the price with those discounts? I think it's just unbecoming. I think John Gruber used the word unseemly. I think a company, especially a company like Apple, would do better to just advertise the price most people are going to get and then note that you can get an even lower price through Verizon or AT&T, just for clarity, simplicity, to avoid mistakes, and just to pr avoid people having a negative feeling about Apple, just put the sticker price on there and then make them feel good about getting the discount, not bad about not getting it. Darius Dunlop on Patreon asked about differences between the A14 on the iPhone 12, especially the iPhone 12 Pro Max, and what we know about the iPad processor, I'm guessing iPad Air processor. And what do you think that portends for Apple Silicon Macs, presumably coming next month? As far as we know, they're identical processors right now. The A14 Bionic is in both the iPad Air and the um, all the iPhone 12s. And I did a whole explainer video, a deep dive on the A14 where I addressed this. So I'll link to that in the description. But basically, Apple wants to be efficient. So they make a chip that they can scale from the iPhone 12 mini all the way up to the iPad Air. And, you know, maybe the iPhone, especially the iPhone Pros, hit the image signal processor way more frequently, way harder than the iPad Air does. And maybe the iPad Air, because it has a much bigger thermal envelope, can run high-intensity graphics applications for longer. They can sustain performance for longer than an iPhone. But the chip really is built to scale between those devices. And in terms of Apple Silicon Macs, I think we're seeing this generation of Apple Silicon IP, like the the all the different compute engines and all the different uh, blocks, the accelerators, the controllers, all of that. And I think that's what we'll see in Apple Silicon Macs. But I would be surprised if we didn't see dedicated blocks. Like they've already talked about hypervisor acceleration. And just think about anything that you'd want accelerated on a Mac that would be different than an iPhone or iPad. And I think that's the sort of chipsets we'll see, especially in the early generations of Apple Silicon Macs. Donald Hawk on Patreon asks, I'm really concerned about putting these 
MagSafe magnets in my pocket close to my cards. I think for credit cards, for anything that's really robust, that's meant to last, it'll be fine. I mean, we've got magnets and a bunch of other things, other products these days. I think for flimsier implementations like hotel card keys, if we're still using those these days, when we get back to using those, I would be more concerned. But for daily use, uh, especially since Apple's making a wallet case where presumably, I mean, they've got to know people are going to put credit cards in there. I don't think it'll be a problem for any of those sorts of items. And Silver John Longs asks, American bacon or Canadian bacon? And uh, American bacon, Canadian bacon is like ham. Uh, it's fine, but it just, it doesn't have that crispy, deeply satisfying, bacony bacon taste the way good old fashioned American sliced bacon does. And if you have any more questions about bacon or otherwise, or just want to chat in general, check out our members only Discord, where we talk about, sure, bacon, coffee, but also iPads, watches, iPhones, Apple Silicon gear, workflows, and more, basically 24-7. And you can find it at patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie. And I set that up right after I quit my big media job back in March, right before 2020 happened. And I started this new indie channel because I needed a way, I needed a community to make these videos better. And this is great. It's so great because there's a whole preview section where I can share ideas and outlines for videos before they even get shot. And sometimes early versions of the videos before they go live, longer versions of interviews when I have them available, like 45 minutes with iJustine and Walt Mossberg and the full cut of my Apple iPhone 12 event reactions. And there are even ways to get your name in the description of every video, even in the credits. So uh, to be more involved in this community and to contribute directly to the creation of these videos and future projects like my new podcast with George et al., just check out patreon.com slash Renee Ritchie or click on the link in the description. And clicking on that link really helps out this channel. For a ton more, just a ton more on iPhone 12, click on the playlist above. I've got videos up on all the new features, comparisons, and a lot a lot more to come. So click on the playlist and I'll see you next video.